story for us, but she also has God's word for us and the testimony of God's faithfulness. Gwen, we love you so much. Thank you so much for coming today. Good morning. Um, is anyone hearing me or meeting me for the very first time? No, good. Well, okay. Well, anyway, I'm Gwen Moliet. Nice to meet you. Um, you know, normally I get right into the sermon, but um, I shared a few minutes in the study with Pastor and First Lady Kathy, and they said, Pastor said, please share some of that before you preach the word. So I'm going to try to keep it to five minutes or less, as short as I can, but, you know, those of us that have the gift of public speaking, that's a joke in itself. But um, I just want to let you know what happened. Uh, in September, I contracted COVID first week in September, and my husband uh, is a disabled Vietnam veteran, so he was pretty much homebound. I did not realize that I had COVID, and of course I gave it to him, and we both had COVID. And so we were sick for days, and I didn't tell my family, I didn't tell my children. I didn't really, for some reason, it just never registered to me that we had COVID. So after about seven days of being sicker than I've been in my whole adult life, I called my son and I said, Matthew, I think daddy and I might have COVID. So he brought over a couple rapid tests from the drugstore and of course my husband and I both tested positive. And that was around September the 8th or September the 9th. And uh, we hadn't eaten in like 10 days. We were drinking Pedialyte and Ensure so we didn't dehydrate. Um, and then on day 10, my husband couldn't get up and uh, so I called my friend, and she works for Angelic Hospice. And she said, I'm sending a nurse for your husband immediately. This was uh, September 10th. And so the nurse came at like 10 o'clock in the morning and just took over. And uh, she said to me, I remember her saying to me, why did you wait so long? And I just didn't realize how sick we both were. I think the lack of oxygen to my brain, which you'll hear about in a minute, um, really I wasn't clear-headed. I, I wasn't thinking right. Anyway, they call the hospital, they call the paramedics, they get a hospital bed, they get them all taken care of in the living room, and uh, that's September 10th. And so about 10 o'clock at night, my husband was on morphine and resting comfortably. And the nurse said, I'm going to go for the night. Can you take care of him? I said, absolutely. So that whole night, anything he needed, I took care of him. And uh, in the morning, when the hospice nurse came back, she took one look at me. And she said, I can't take care of you. I'm not your nurse. She said, but you need to call 911. You need to go to the hospital. And I said, I'm not leaving my husband. There's no way. 54 years, I'm not leaving my husband. So... Uh, evidently, someone called another nurse for me, my friend. And so a nurse walks in and takes one look at me and takes my pulse ox. Now, I don't know a lot about that, but it was 60. And I know that everybody panicked when they did my oxygen level. I was only getting at 60%. So she calls 911. The police come in. They put me on a stretcher. And I'm saying, I can't leave my husband. I just can't leave my husband. Just give me a minute. So I was able to kiss him. And I said, I love you. And he said, I love you. And... So they took me to the hospital. This was September 11th. So I get to the hospital, and I have double pneumonia and COVID. And they told my daughter that I was critical. My kidneys had shut down. My liver was infected. They gave me about 24 hours to live. Now, what you don't know is 5 o'clock that night, my husband died, the actual day I was admitted to the hospital. So my kids call, and they said, Mom, Daddy went to heaven tonight. And uh, so I had to deal with that. So I'm in the hospital. I'm in critical condition. They tell my children that I'm going to die within 24 hours at my age with double pneumonia and having COVID. 
And uh, my daughter, who was a rebellious teenager, so let me give all you mothers and fathers hopes, um, all of a sudden rose to the occasion and became probably one of the greatest intercessors in the world. She got on the web and on Facebook and started calling all the churches I've ever spoken at. She ended up having thousands of believers starting to pray for me. And, uh, and every day I just kept getting better and better and they couldn't process this. The medical people couldn't understand how I was doing so well. They told my daughter that I'd be on oxygen for the rest of my life if I survived. And uh, so by day three of all these people praying, my oxygen went from 100% to 40. A little bit unheard of. Next thing I know, my daughter has got 30 people in the parking lot of the hospital prophesying to me, sending scriptures. I was on uh, Zoom or Facebook. or I was out of my mind. I don't know what I was on. But they were praying and prophesying and singing. And day five, I, my oxygen is down to 20%. Day six, I said, I don't even need oxygen. Now, I don't know how much you know, but this is a miracle to, in that short time. So I went from 100%, which they said I'd be on for life, to 40. Day seven, a therapist comes in. Now, I hadn't walked or stood. I was in bed in ICU intensive care for eight days, plus I was on the couch for 10 days with COVID. I lost about 28 pounds, but I hadn't stood. I hadn't stood up. I hadn't, I hadn't is that the right, in, right English? I hadn't gotten up. So what happened is he says to me, do you think you can walk? And I said, why? He said, because if you can walk, we can think about letting you go home. I'm telling you, I was out of that chair. I was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he. And I started holding on to Isaiah 40. They'll run and not be weary, walk and not faint. He goes, slow down, slow down. So then he says to me, you can't do a squat, can you? I said, how many you want, young man? And I just started. I got to five and he said, stop it. And so I was released uh, eight days later. To the glory of God, I'm here to tell you that I have, <clears throat> it's amazing. I, it's, I'm a miracle. And what I learned, I mean, it's, I'm still very much grieving the loss of my husband. It's my first Christmas without him in 55 years. We got engaged on Christmas Eve. But um, here's the good news. My daughter comes over to me and she says, you know what, mother? I said, no, what? She said, I was born for this. I said, born for what? She said, I was born for intercession, to be a prayer warrior. So I'm telling you, God works all things to the good of them who love him or they're called of his purpose. So my daughter is well. My son is believing God for full healing of his issues. And I am here as healthy as can be and just delighted. And, and I will say this, because I did keep it to five minutes. I kept my husband out of heaven twice. And I'll just tell you one, and then I'll get right to the Word of God. But um, my husband, I guess it was uh, 2014 or 20, yeah, I think it was 2014. He um, started having problems with his heart, and I called the paramedics, and they said he was in heart failure. His heartbeat was only 36 beats a minute. He kept passing out. This is back in 2014, I think it was. And uh, so they take him to the hospital. I call my son. I call my daughter. Meet me at the hospital. I get there, and my husband's on the bed, and he's in heart failure. And um, the doctor said, do you have a DNR? And he said, do not resuscitate me. I want to go to heaven. And something happened to me, guys. I, like, jumped on him on that gurney, and I said, choose life. I said, before you, life and death, you're going to choose life. You're going to live. I'm claiming 15 years like Hezekiah. I forbid you to die. You're going to live. I'm not ready to be a widow. He goes, okay, okay, I choose life. So, uh, 
So my daughter, the funny thing about my daughter is she said, Mom, he knew that you kept him out of paradise and out of heaven. She said, he waited till you got out of the room. And as soon as I was out of the room, he said, I'm out of here. And uh, so anyway, I greet you in the name of Jesus. I'm very glad to be with you this morning. And uh, I want to share with you this morning um, about touching the hem of Jesus's garment. I saw a thing on Facebook recently. It said, if you're holding on by a thread, make sure it's the hem of his garment. And so we're going to pray, and I want to share with you, what does it mean to touch the hem of Jesus' garment? I want to close out the year with any issue that I have that I can get a hold of him and have virtue come into me and into you. Father, we just thank you this morning that the word of God is powerful, living, sharp, and active. We ask you to send your word into every one of our hearts. Give us eyes to see ears to hear, and a spirit of obedience that, Lord, when we have issues, we know how to press through the crowd and say like that little woman, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be every bit whole. So, Lord, send healing this morning, whether it's emotional, mental, physical. We just thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha, our healer, and we thank you that you watch over your word to perform it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read a story of a woman in Mark chapter 5. It's pretty familiar to church folk, but I'm going to add some insight that a lot of people haven't seen before. And so Mark 5, I'm going to start at verse 25 to 36, and the title of the message this morning is Touching His Hem. So Mark 5, 25. And there was a certain woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years. She suffered many things of many physicians. She spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Verse 29. And straightway the fountain of her blood dried up. She felt in her body she was healed of the plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out, turned him around about in the press or in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, you see the multitude thronging thee? How can you say who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And so I want to share some insight and some things about this particular woman. First off, um, if you look at verse 25, it said she had an issue of blood for 12 years. And I'm going to be very mature. I know we're a mixed audience. But how many of you understand that God made it the, that a woman has a certain cycle once a month? It should last somewhere about seven days. And it's so that she can conceive a child and become fertile. It's all part of uh, being a woman. And so most of us have been through this and we realize that this lasts about seven days. But this woman has been bleeding not seven days, not seven weeks, not seven months, but 12 years. And I actually did the math. This woman has an issue of blood 4,380 days. Now let's pause a minute. I want to talk about three things. Number one, she was desperate, she was determined, and she was delivered. 
And she acts, actually, I think in my opinion, now whenever I add something to scripture, I tell you, but I don't understand how anybody could lose a issue of blood like this all those years and not be anemic. You do understand we didn't have any vitamin C minerals and capsules and high vitamin infusions. She had to be extremely sick and very weak at the loss of blood like this. So I see her as very anemic. I see her as very physically ill. Not only that, in that day and age, they didn't have CVS, Walgreens, and Walmart. There were no feminine products for women. She couldn't put on some beautiful perfume or powder. Um, and so not only is she sick, um, but she probably had some type of physical odor. And so I look at her, I'm thinking, wow, you're physically sick. You're emotionally drained. You have to be. And then one of the saddest verses in the Bible to me is um, verse, let me say, I want to find verse 26. So she is physically ill. She's spiritually unclean, which I'm going to talk to you about. She wasn't even allowed to go into the temple or into the synagogue at all during this cycle. For 12 years, she was spiritually unclean, physically sick, I'm sure emotionally spent, and financially ruined. Because when you read verse 26, it said she suffered many things of many physicians, listen to this very sad verse, spent all that she had and had nothing left. No Medicaid, no Medicare, no food stamps, no nothing to help her. She spent every penny she had going to every doctor she could find. And then the sad is verse to me in the story is she got worse. She didn't get better. Spent everything she had. Now, I'm thankful. How many of you know after hearing my testimony, I'm thankful for the hospital. I'm thankful for my doctors. I'm thankful for medical science. But what I did not know when I went into the hospital, and I would have gone anyway, because had I not gone, I would have died. But I had a copay. Now, I haven't been in the hospital since I gave birth to my son. He's 51. So, how many of you know it's been a season since I visited the hospital? So I didn't realize what my copay is. And so I come out of the hospital and, and I'm just thanking God that I'm healthy and I'm alive. And, I'm, and all of a sudden I get my first bill. Everybody say first. I get my first bill. Well, my copay is $350 a day. If you'd like to do the math, I was in the hospital eight days. So just my copay for that bill without my physicians was $3,000. And I was like, wow, I get this verse now more than ever. She sp I didn't spend everything. I'm okay. But I didn't realize how expensive it would be with the co-pays. And then the do every doctor that comes in and sees you gets, what, $150, $200 a shot? And they say, how are you? Fine. Good, but good day. I'm like, what? And so on the back of the list are all these doctors that saw me. So the issue is this. Medicine, how many of you know, it's very expensive. I can understand in a moment's time how she spent everything she had because she wasn't married. So she didn't have a husband to provide health insurance for her. She spent everything. And then the Bible said she got worse. So are you with me on how desperate this situation is? She's spiritually unclean, physically sick, financially broke, has no money. But on top of all that, which to me is the most serious, she's spiritually unclean. And I want to go back for a moment to the book of Leviticus. Oh, I had a verse I was going to read to you. I don't know if they put it up. They're so good up there. But there's a verse in Jeremiah 30, 13 that says, There's no healing medicines for you because of all her suffering. You know, even today, medicine can't cure everything. For those that know me and have been praying for my family, my son is in the battle of his life. Four and a half years ago, my son was diagnosed with terminal four-stage colon cancer. 
They gave him six weeks to live and told him there wasn't even any treatment or hope for him. And he went home four and a half years ago and laid on the bed and was praying to God. And God gave him a verse in Psalms, you'll live and not die and declare the glory of God. He is still here. He is alive. He's, he's alive. I can't say he's perfectly well, but we are trusting. So would you please remember to pray for my son, Matthew, that I will see the day when he is cancer-free because he's been on chemo for four and a half years. And how many of you know your body can only take so much? And I don't want to talk about him right now, but we're believing God. If I'm a miracle, why can't my son be a miracle? God sent his son, and that's the greatest miracle of it all. So this woman, if you know this or not, she's unclean. And I want to read a few verses in Leviticus, chapter um, 15. And I want you to look for this phrase, unclean. Leviticus, I'm not there yet, I'm talking about my Matthew. Leviticus 15, I just want to read starting at verse 19. And if a woman has an issue, and her issue is of the blood, she will be put apart or separated for seven days. Whatever touches her will be unclean until the evening. Everything she lies upon during this separation will be unclean. Everything she sits upon shall be unclean. Whosoever touches her bed has to wash their clothes and bathe in water, and they are now unclean. Verse 22, whoever touches anything she sat upon has to wash their clothes and bathe himself in water and is unclean until the evening. Are you starting to get the gist of what I'm sharing with you? Verse 25, if it be, if it be on her bed or anything wherein she sat or touched, he's unclean until the evening. If any man lie with her during that time, he shall be unclean for seven days. All the bed thereon he was on is unclean. Verse 25, if the woman, this is our girl, if the woman has an issue of blood many days out of the time of the separation, or if it runs beyond the time of separation, all the days of her issue of her uncleanliness shall be days of her separation, and she is, are you ready, unclean. It keeps telling you, verse 26, she's unclean. Verse 27, she's unclean. Verse 28, she's unclean. We have about 10 verses that tell us like 12 times in a row she's unclean, 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 unclean. And what we don't realize is they don't have running water in the Middle East back here 4,000 years ago. You didn't just dump, jump in the shower twice a day if you worked hard. I've been to Israel. I've been to the Middle East. And I'm sad to say you could smell some of the people before you actually physically saw them because they bathe about, if it's a good time, maybe once every couple months. They just don't have the water we have. So do you understand that if anybody even bumped shoulders with her, they are, they are now unclean for the rest of the day? And after to take off all their clothes and wash them in the river and take a shower. So in my mind, this woman probably was extremely lonely. I don't see people hugging her and greeting her. Uh, you think we social distance because of COVID. This woman, who knows how many weeks or months since anybody had ever touched her. And so she's desperate. She can't take it. She's physically ill, financially ruined, emotionally spent, and spiritually unclean. And then something turns. The Bible says in Mark 5, 27, she heard about Jesus. So I want to talk to you about what is it this desperate woman heard that made her so determined to touch the hem of his garment. It said she heard about Jesus. Now, obviously, she didn't hear that he made mud and put it in a blind man's eyes. Or she would have said, oh, if he could just put a mud pack on my, my stomach. She didn't hear that. She didn't hear that he spoke a word and said, just go home and you'll be well. 
She heard, listen to this, about people being healed by touching the hem of the garment. And that's where she got the faith to say, if I can press through the crowd and just touch him. So I want to show you three things about what did she hear. Number one, she heard this is not just a woman's issue. And I want you to go to Matthew 14, if you'd like, or it'll be behind me. I want to read Matthew 14. And I want to show you that this was not just for women. All of us have issues that cause us to bleed. I'm not talking physical now. All of us have gone through things that have caused us to have issues of blood. And so in uh, Matthew 14, I want to read starting at verse 34 and show you something that was eye-opening to me. I had never even seen this. Matthew 14, 34 to 36. And when they had gone over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men, when the men, I'm going to say it one more time, when the men of the place had knowledge of him, Jesus, they sent out into the country around about and brought to him everyone that was diseased. Verse 36. They besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made perfectly whole. Now, I don't know about you, but the men of the city heard Jesus was coming. This is not a female issue. What I want to talk to you about this morning is spiritual. Are you with me? I'm talking about issues of blood. Kids that have been rebellious or, or divorce or illness. Issues, things that make us bleed inside. Not physical bleeding, but emotional, mental, spiritual. The men of the city heard Christ was coming. And what did the men do? The men went out and gathered everybody that was sick. So please don't think this is a one-time event. Or that it's a feminine problem. When the men went and got people that were sick, I bet they brought some brothers. You're not telling me they went out and looked for women. They brought men and boys and women and married couples. Everybody that was sick touched the hem of his garment. Every single person got healed. I don't know how many that multitude was. But if we told you tonight God said he'd guarantee healing, we'd pack the house. If I told you that at 7 o'clock tonight, God promised us that every issue of physical healing would be healed, there'd be standing room only. Am I not telling you the truth? So when they brought all the people, they brought all the people, and every person that touched the hem was healed. So number one, it's not a woman's issue. Number two, it's not a one-time event. I would like you to go with me to Mark 6 and see that Jesus did this many, many times. This is what the woman heard I want to be in uh, Mark 6, verse 53. And it's going to add to what I just read to you. Mark 6, 53. And when they passed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and drew near to the shore. When they came out of the ship, straightway they knew him. They ran through the whole region roundabout and began to carry in beds them that were sick when they heard it was he. I mean, they're bringing paralytics and people in comas. They're bringing them on stretchers. These people had no faith. Some of them probably weren't even conscious. Oh, God's a healer. Oh, please listen to me. He's a healer. And the only reason my husband isn't here is because he wanted to go to be with the Lord. And if I asked him to come back, he'd probably say no. Verse 56. Now look at this. And whithersoever he entered into, please watch this, villages, cities, or country they laid the sick in the streets beseeching him that they might touch if it were the border of his garment and as many as touched him were made whole are you connecting with me this morning or as the young people would say you ready are you tracking with me are you tracking with me that this was not a one-time event of a little woman 
frail and sick who press through a crowd of people in cities, come on now, villages and countries, they laid the sick in the street and every single person that touched the hem was healed. That's what she heard. She heard it's not just for women only. And she heard it's not a one-time event. And then she heard it's a fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. I want to go back for one moment to Zechariah. And I should have marked my Bible so you'll have to be patient with me. I know he's towards the end of the Old Testament, right? Zechariah. Okay. I should ask the pastor to help me. Because I don't know if he's before Daniel, after Daniel, but I'm looking feverishly for Zechariah. Or I could turn around and read it, couldn't I? Okay, here we go. <laughs> Zechariah. Come on now. Zechariah 8.21. I got to find it. I can't help myself. I can't help myself. I have to find it. I know it's towards the end. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. I got it. All right. I don't know. I just feel so much more stable when I have the Bible and I can look at it. Zechariah 8.21. So here, let me not lose you because I got off track for a moment. Number one, it's not a woman's issue. Number two, it's not a one-time event. Number three, it's a fulfillment of a promise. Zechariah, which is page 1163, in case you're struggling with me. Uh, Zechariah 8.21 says this. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let's go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts and I will go also. Yea, many people, strong nations, shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Verse 23. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of the language of the nations him they will hold the skirt of him that is a Jew saying we will go with you for we have heard God is with you how many of you know Jesus wasn't just a Jew and God was not with him he was God in the flesh and this Old Testament prophecy said that men from nations would come and get a hold of the hem of his garment and say God is with you God with us and so that's what she heard that it's not for women only it's not a one-time event of healing. And it was a prophecy that was fulfilled when Jesus came, being a Jew who was God, having the hem of his garment available for us to be touched. So you know what she heard, and faith came. Now what is it she touched? Well, I'd like to do a visual. I might not have been able to find Zachariah, but I found my tallit. So what is it? We know what she heard, okay? She heard that in every village, city, town, and country, anybody laid out, even people unconscious, if the hem touched them, they got healed. No wonder she had faith to come in the press. Because they could have stoned her to death, you know. She's coming in public where a rabbi is, and she's unclean. Every man in that village had the right uh, biblical stance that they could have stoned her to death. But you know what? Sometimes you have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. Every now and then you have to say, my life can't stay like this. I have to get to Jesus, I have to touch the hem, I have to have a change, and I have to have this issue of blood healed in my heart. And it, sometimes we don't get it till we're desperate. She was completely desperate, totally determined, and ended up delivered. And so let me show you what she touched. Let's go back for a moment, if you don't mind, to Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, I can find that one. Numbers 15. And first of all, let me show you this this morning. This is, um, this is difficult without an earpiece, but I don't like them. Um, this is called a prayer shawl 
or a tallit. As everyone, you've all seen these, I would hope. Most Jewish men and Jewish rabbis would wear these. Always when they went in the synagogue, they wore a tallit. They never prayed without their head covered wearing a tallit. On the corner of a tallit is what is actually titled and called the hem of the garment. So this is what she touched. But I'm going to give you some clarity on this this morning because we can touch the same thing she touched. I don't have to wait 12 years. I don't have to wait 12 minutes. I can touch the same thing she touched. So let me read Numbers 15 and show you what she touched. Numbers 15, and I'm going to begin starting at verse 37. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. Bid them that they make fringes in the border of their garments throughout all their generations, that they put fringe on the borders, here's the fringe, in a ribbon of blue. Verse uh, 28, I did that, right? Okay, in a ribbon of blue. Verse 29, and it shall come to pass that for the fringe, that when you look upon it, you will remember the commandments of the Lord to do them, that you would seek not after your own heart, or your own eyes, which you used to go whoring, but you would remember to do all the commandments to be holy unto the Lord your God. For I am the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, would you stay with me for a minute? I'm going to be boring, but not for long. And hopefully you'll be able to connect what I want to share with you. Every genuine tallit, prayer shawl, should have five knots, it should have eight strands on every tallit. Now, here's where I, I need you to connect with me. The word um, tassel or the word fringe, depending what version of the Bible you use, tassel or fringe, has the numeric number of 600. Every tallit has five knots and eight strands. If you add the word tassel, fringe, 600, to the eight ropes and the five knots, unless, you know, you're having a, a problem with your brain, you should get 613. Am I close? 600, 608, plus five knots, 613. When a rabbi put this on and they began to pray, they would kiss the fringe. You've seen this. What they were kissing and what they were touching is the word of God. There are 613 commandments in the Torah. Come on. You know what she touched? She touched the word of God. Aren't you glad this morning that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth? You and I can touch God's Word whether we own a tallit or not. She touched the Word of God. So whatever your issue is, there are promises in the Word of God for those issues. And when you touch the Word of God, He can begin to heal the issues of blood. So what did she touch? God's Word. Can I take 10 more minutes, Pastor? I don't know what my limit is. Um, let me show you the second thing she touched. Because this morning, guys, we have the blessed privilege of touching God's word. But there was something else she touched that's important to us. And we need to know this, that when you touch the hem of the garment, you have to know your spiritual authority. The two things that I'm touching when I touch the hem of Jesus is his word for my issues of blood, number one, my healing, and number two, my authority and right to go to him for healing and to come against the works of the enemy. And so in Matthew, let me find it, in Matthew 23, um, maybe I'll just tell you, oh, it's right in front of me. 
what a church. Um, I never looked up, and there's like, it's right there. But in Ma- you know me, I have to look in the Bible. In Matthew 23, the whole chapter is about these phonies, these hypocrites that say one thing and do another. And so I'll move quickly. I don't want to keep you too long today. But Matthew 23 I'd like to read 1 to 5 and make a really important point about the hem of the garment. Verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitude of his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They have to have a seat of importance. Verse 2, or verse 3. All therefore they bid you observe, observe, and do. But do not do after their works, for they say one thing and do another. Listen, I don't want to get off track Preachers are so guilty of that. But if you want to know how to identify a false prophet, just read Matthew 23. It just goes line by line by line. Number one, they have to have a seat of importance or prominence. They can't be like the rest of us common folk. You know what I mean? They have to sit a little higher. Uh, Number two, they tell you to do one thing, but they won't do it. And then number three, in verse four, they put burdens on your back, but they won't lift a finger to help you. Um, All their works in verse five, they do to be seen of men. Now, let me read five. But all their works they do to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries. Now, let me explain what that is. They used to wear a little leather box in front of their eyes on a black leather strap, and it would have scripture in it. So they could fulfill Proverbs 4.20 to keep God's word in front of your eyes, okay? So the Jews and the rabbi, not the rabbis, but the Pharisees and Sadducees that were all about them kept making their phylacteries bigger and bigger. No wonder Jesus said the blind lead the blind. You both fall in a pit, you can't see where they're going. So they make large their phylacteries, right? Now look at verse 5. They enlarge, don't miss this, the borders of their garments. Well, what's the border of the garment? It's the hem of his garment. The longer the threads, the more importance they had in the synagogue. And I forgot to share something really important. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. When I was telling you about the 613, do you know the five knots? Five is the number of grace. And do you know eight is the number of new beginnings? And so God told me, I've got enough grace to always give you a new beginning. And so they would make long their prayer shawls because they had more importance. Now, there's two Old Testament stories that I'll try to be as brief as possible about, but they both have to do with someone tearing the hem of the garment. And what it represented was spiritual authority. And when the hem was ripped, the kingdom was lost. So are you following me this morning? There's two things we touch. We touch the word of God and we take our rightful position and use our authority against the evil one. All right. So in 1 Samuel 15, here's the story. Let me check. Make sure I got the right story. I read this this morning, but you wouldn't know it. Especially, I didn't read Zechariah. Okay. Um, 1 Samuel 15. Saul has been chasing David like a madman. And um, 1 Samuel 15. Okay, let me read it and not try to tell you the story so I get everything right. Okay. Um, what happened is, now let me give you, because David's story's coming up. We're with Saul right now. Saul sinned, and the prophet Samuel came and said, because you've sinned, God's going to take away the kingdom from you and give it to a man after his own heart. And we all know that that's David. But let me show you what Saul did in 1 Samuel 15, 26. And Samuel, he was the prophet, said to Saul, I will not return with thee, for you've rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go away, he, Saul, laid hold of the skirt of his mantle and ripped it. He tore the hem of his garment, because kings, priests, and prophets would wear these tallits. Verse 28. 
And Samuel said to him, The Lord has now rent the kingdom of Israel from you today and given it to your neighbor, which is better than you. So do you see that when you tore the hem of the garment, when you ripped the tassel off the tallit, you lost the kingdom, he lost the kingdom authority. Now, years later, David is in a cave, in the back of a cave with a couple hundred men. Saul comes in, who's David's enemy. Saul's been trying to kill David for years. And all the men with David say, God brought your enemy right in your midst. You can kill him. But I want to show you what David does. 1 Samuel 24. He doesn't listen to the crowd. And may I tell you, numbers is not what it's about. I'd rather have one or two people of faith than 100 people that are negative and filled with fear. So 300 men are saying, David, this is your golden opportunity. The Lord brought your enemy into a dark cave and you can kill him. So let's see what David does. 1 Samuel 24, 1 to 5. And it came to pass when Saul returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness in Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel, went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. It came to pass, verse 3, at the sheep coat, by the way, there was a cave. Saul went in and covered his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. Now let me just explain to you that they did not have public restrooms in the day. And so a man, for modesty's sake, would go in a cave. And that's what's happening here. Verse 4. And the men of David said to him, Behold, the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'll deliver your enemy into your hand that you can do to him as it seems good. And David arose, you with me? Cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. Now remember, Saul ripped the hem off Samuel. Now David takes the hem off Saul. Are you following me? Because I never knew why David's heart smote him. If I was in that cave and my enemy was there, I'd have taken the tallit, wrapped it around his neck, and choked the life out of him from behind. I just would. So I didn't see any big sin that David did that all of a sudden he's smitten with this terrible guilt of what he has done. But he understood the authority. He understood the position, right? So look what happens, verse 5. It came to pass afterwards that David's heart smote him because he cut off Saul's skirt, the hem of the garment. So what you and I need to know this morning is Jesus is our ultimate authority. And he said, behold, I give you, Luke 10, 19, I give you power and authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. So whatever your issue might be today, I'm closing out this year, and I'm going to try to give God as many issues as I can because I know how to hold the hem of the garment. I know how to touch God's word for what I need. I know that we have authority, that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And so the last verse I'm going to end with is in the last Testament book of Malachi. And it promises us that the son of righteousness, Jesus, will rise with healing in his wings. These were his wings. I can't demonstrate the tallit and show you and hold the mic at the same time. So you just have to have a vision. But the tallit. When the men would pray in the synagogue and open the tallit, it was, they would say they're in the shadow of the wings of the Almighty, like in Psalm 91. And so the Old Testament ends with Malachi, and I want to read uh, just verse 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness rise with healing in his wings, and you will go forth and grow up. There's healing at the hem of Jesus' garment. And I think I've showed you this morning that it's not a one-time event. It's not a woman's issue. It's not even a physical issue that I wanted to share with you this morning. And so whatever you're in need of, 
whatever issue of blood you might have, now would be a good time to say, I've heard about Jesus, and by faith I'm going to touch the hem of his garment because he has enough grace to give me a new beginning, and everything I need in the word of God is here for me. So I'm going to pray and just see if the Holy Spirit would have me minister in any way, but ask the Lord, is there any issue in my heart? Like you know right now, I don't have to tell you my issue, it's grief. It's, I was so lonely, I got a job at Chick-fil-A. I'm working three days a week because the house was just closing in. My husband's been, I've been his caregiver for 25 years since he was disabled and he was there every morning, every afternoon, every night. And so the loneliness of the house, I said, Lord, I'm bleeding, my heart's broken, I can't do this. And I got myself a job. And I'm working hard, and if you go on Facebook, you can see me in my uniform at my Chick-fil-A window handing out nuggets and a Coke. Um, because you know what? My issue right now is grief and sorrow. But Jesus promised to heal the brokenhearted. And so my son, my, my own life, what is it you need this morning? Because Jesus has enough virtue for every one of us. And can I tell you this? I don't want to miss it. It's so important in the story. The story starts out saying there was a certain woman that had an issue. But at the end of the story, in verse 34, he calls her daughter. It's the first time in the Bible he calls a girl, a woman daughter. She went from being a certain woman, come on now, a certain son, to a, I mean a certain man, to being a son or a daughter. He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Father, we just thank you for sending your word this morning. We thank you that they brought to Jesus people that probably were crippled, couldn't walk, couldn't talk. They laid him in the streets. They were on stretchers. God, I'm not trying to make my imagination run away with me, but if they're bringing them on stretchers, some of them could have been even unconscious. But the hem of your garment touched them. And the word of God healed him. And Lord, we stand today on Psalm 10720 that you've sent your word to heal and to deliver us from destruction. Lord, for anyone in the congregation this morning or watching online that needs healing, let them say, by faith, I've heard about Jesus, that he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the enemy because God was with him. And by faith, I'm pressing through my crowd of fear. I'm pressing through worry. I'm pressing through anxiety. I'm pressing through rejection and I'm going to get a hold by faith of the hem of the garment and I know virtue is going to come into me and so Lord let healing virtue flow and Lord I feel impressed to pray for those that are having emotional problems mental problems Lord the church is so quick to pray for the sick but then if someone has a mental issue we treat them differently Lord forgive us and for anybody God this morning that needs stability in their mind let them touch the hem of your garment. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray for our minds and our emotions. We thank you that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us to heal <clears throat> and to deliver. And so, Lord, by faith, we touch the hem. We touch it for our children. We touch it for our spouses. We touch it, Lord. Because virtue is available to every child of God, every son, every daughter. And Lord, as we prepare to close, we think of Jesus rising with healing in his wings. So Lord, whatever our issues are, we thank you that you're our healer. We thank you for grace. We thank you for new beginnings. We thank you for the word of God 
that everything we need for life and godliness is given to us through the scriptures. And Lord, I didn't share this, but when I was in the hospital, I never thought of dying because in October 2014, you told me I'd be a great-grandmother. And so there was no thought or fear of death because I held on to your promise. Lord, give each of my brothers and sisters a promise for this new year. As we leave our issues here, touch our hearts, our souls, our minds, our spirits. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Can we just sing the chorus? Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Would you stand? We'll give him all the glory. We'll give him all the glory. We'll give him all the glory. Christ the Lord. Father, I ask that you'd bless your people as they go from here. Keep them safe. And Lord, we look forward to the promises of this new year, what you have in store for us. And we just thank you that we can touch the word of God and stand in our authority and that virtue is flowing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.